Du lyssnar på en podcast från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra poddar och program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Studentradion 98,9. You're listening to Radio UF. And today it's with me, Isaac, as well as two eminent partners in crime. Evelina. And Melina. And tonight, in honor of the coming election in France, if you didn't know, there is about to be the second round this Sunday between the two most voted candidates from the first round that was held on April the 10th. And... If you don't know much about French politics, you don't need to be uh, surprised because it's still the candidates you know from before. We have Macron as well as Le Pen facing it off just after we broadcast even. They have the official presidential debate. They'll run for two hours or something. And so today we'll run you a bit through the French system and maybe what to look out for, what it'll maybe mean for us or how it compares to Sweden. And uh, if you're a French, you should uh, vote. We encourage everybody to participate. Everyone should vote, yeah. Exactly. Politics matter. But we'll be back after the break with a small introduction on the French voting system. So bear with us. You just heard Clearing by Ohio Mark. You're listening to Studentradion 98,9. We are Radio UF. And if you just joined us... We're going into the French election and to give us a rundown of the French system, Melina will take the lead. Absolutely. Thank you, Isaac. So I just want to specify that we're talking today about the presidential elections, who are often seen as like the most important elections in French politics because it's very much of a presidential system. But we have to bear in mind that other kinds of elections matter as well, um, parliamentary elections, as well as the very local ones. They, they tend not to get enough attention, I feel like. But yeah, on the 24th is going to be the second round of the presidential election because, yeah, one of the specificities of the French presidential elections is that they're composed of two rounds. So the first one aims at designating two finalists who will finally dispute the second round. So the candidate who wins the most votes during the second round becomes president. 
Technically, a French president could win office in a single round of voting by scoring more than 50% of the votes during the first round, but no contender for France's top job has ever managed that. In practice, the run of votes decides the winner between two finalists who won the most votes in the first round. A common refrain is that the first round is for voting with one's heart, while the second is for voting with one's heads, because what we see oftentimes is that people engage in tactical voting during the second round, because their like favorite candidate might not have made it to this second round. But we'll discuss that a bit later. Just to give you a summary of what happened during the first round, there were 12 candidates this year, eight men and four women. I'm not going to go through their programs in detail, but just so you know, I'll start with, let's say, the smallest candidates. There was Jean Lassalle, who uh, embodied rural and authentic France. He's known for his goofy and like folkloric videos on TikTok and his very strong southern accent. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like see him as a very sympathetic candidate, the, the one who stands for agriculture and everything. Then we had Valérie Pécresse, the candidate of Les Républicains, so the traditional right-wing party, who embodies the rights that's hostile to Le Pen's planned social measures, as well as Emmanuel Macron's progressiveness on social issues. So like conservative rights, let's say. Then we had Fabien Roussel representing the French Communist Party, Philippe Poutou from the new Encapti Capitalist Party, Nicolas Dupont-Aignan, another conservative right-wing candidate, Nathalie Arthaud from the Workers' Party Lutte Ouvrière, Anne Hidalgo, the mayor of Paris, a socialist candidate, Yannick Jadot representing the Green Party, Éric Zemmour, who was a, a far-right polemicist, who has vowed to reverse the immigration he blames for um, undermining France's identity and core values. He's um, attracted a lot of media attention because he has been like blatantly misogynist and racist and a lot of people you know were outraged that this person like gained enough support to run for the elections and he got seven percent of the votes mm. during the first round so wow. yeah and then we had Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who represents the radical left, he's very green, a lot of social measures, but quite isolationist when it comes to foreign politics, not very pro-European, and he's been criticized for like his symp mm -hmm. sympathy towards Russia. And then we have two more candidates, so please bear with us. Marine Le Pen, far right candidates who wants to make social housing jobs and welfare a national priority for French nationals and she wants to fight Islamism. Yeah, she is very much a populist candidate. And finally, Emmanuel Macron, who can be said to be like center-right, very neoliberal, economically pro-Europe and a very reformist agenda. He's been said to be the candidate of like the urban educated elites. And one thing you brought up, which is interesting, how the left candidates being criticized for in previous years having supported Putin, which is also true for Le Pen, who's also been criticized for a cozy mm -hmm. communication and talk about Putin as well as proclaiming him a good leader or something at some point. Yeah, definitely. But um, after this very, very long list of candidates, <laughs> we'll play a bit of music for your ears to relax. You just heard Bubble by Kony Mara. You're listening to Studentradion 98,9. We are Radio UF. So taking us back from the quick rundown of uh, how the French electoral system looks, we're gonna 
talk a bit more about this topic of tactical voting. As the system Milena described very heavily favors the idea as if there is a tight race, let's say, between the top candidates, it might be very important to prefer to vote for a candidate that's closer to your preferred candidate than maybe you, but not the one you prefer. Because, for example, in this case, Le Pen was only 1% with 23% ahead of Jean-Luc with 22%. <laughs> so, theoretically, if a lot of people uh, that would have voted left but not for this specific person, that might have changed the final round and we would have seen two a bit more maybe left-centric characters in this runoff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. After the first round, there was a huge backlash on social media against like the bourgeoisie, the like fake leftists who decided to still support their like candidates, like small candidates, like for instance the green candidate Yannick Jadot, because people were saying that those votes should have been directed to Mélenchon in order to bar Le Pen access to the second round. So we would have had like Macron and Mélenchon and not Le Pen. People were like, oh, like, did you think you could afford voting for your candidate when like the far right is, th is threatening? Polls were saying that uh, Le Pen had high chances to get to the second round and Mélenchon was really close. So if, you know, the 4% that went to Jadot had been directed to Mélenchon or the 2% that went to Hidalgo, socialist candidate had been to Mélenchon, then we, we would have seen... Uh, him in the second round and then people were saying yeah but representative democracy is not supposed to work this way like you're still supposed to be able to vote for the candidate you support and then we shouldn't listen to polls so much blah 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 so a lot of discussions and uh, con yeah controversies here what do you guys think of all that and like tactical voting and because, I mean, of course, that backlash would have looked very different if the pool polls weren't correct and Melanange would have had a greater gap to Le Pen. And then it would have been like, mm -hmm. oh, well, it didn't matter anyway. But just as you say for how a lot of more leftists could have voted for Melanchon, the same goes for Le Pen. The next candidate in line, the fourth with 7%, Zemmour, he is in that sense closer to Le Pen. Those people could also have chosen to support Le Pen and given her a stronger position. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that people were more convinced of tactical voting. Mm -hmm. The results might have looked very differently anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting this, I think, because you can really look at this with a lot of different perspectives. But I kind of understand the tactical voting reasoning because it really does affect uh, the way the country is going to be uh, mm -hmm. ruled afterwards. Yeah. So even though it's not the party you were hoping for in the beginning, um, it definitely definitely has its reasons to kind of like bar people out uh, mm -hmm. for the upcoming elections. What but, do you think? Mm, I agree with you, but I, I also read that tactical voting usually also favors abstention and resentment or how do you say disillusion with mm. politics because a lot of people now are like oh yeah well i don't really care about the elections like i will be forced to vote for a candidate i don't really believe in anyways blah blah so it does make sense but i think in general we need like a reform of the system in france in general and some candidates are calling for a sixth republic okay that's interesting i think 
that is really interesting like the entire idea that people from the beginning like have to even think about it as you said but yeah i don't know i still kind of understand like the tactical voting yeah but it's also a struggle with that if everybody's tactically voting then there will never be a new breakout candidate to -hmm. the same degree because then the candidate has to gain popular support between the election cycles which i'm pretty sure i don't think le pen has always been or she's probably always been a presidential candidate but it was only last election and then uh, sometime earlier that they were even contending for the presidential seat mm-hmm. so she has also come up being priorly you're not popular to enough to actually contend for the presidential radio mm. post and but, um, we recently I was about to compared ask you the guys, idea of like, tactical voting in the your, France like, which in a sense have become almost a necessity but Let's not get too pessimistic quite yet. Even though we don't have the same system here in Sweden, we have that kind of sense still, which recently was shaken up with how the Swedish Democrat has gained a lot of prominence in Sweden. Before, no matter if you voted for the Liberals, the Moderates, the Social Democrats or the Left Party, you would still support that block because there wasn't a lot of differentiating between the parties as none of them were going to get majority themselves, so they were forced to cooperate in these blocks. Mm-hmm. But that has kind of shifted. Yeah, I think like back in 2015, right? Mm. Uh, and then basically what happened was that a lot of the parties, and I think Centerpartiet and Liberalerna didn't support uh, some of the points being made from Sverigedemokraterna and stuff mm. like that. So now we're having like a new situation because we have a, the Swedish election the 11th of September uh, this year, so 2022. Uh, so it's really changing. And also something, this is kind of a sidetrack, but I'm also thinking about how all the parties kind of are changing their politics, like their head question. So I was thinking like now Ukraine is very relevant um, for the politics and that NATO, for example, has always been like, for Socialdemokraterna, I question they don't want to, re- you know, like they're mm. not really interested in NATO. And uh, now it looks like they're kind of going to approach NATO. And that's more like uh, mod- moderate politics, which is like a right wing politics and mm-hmm. Socialdemokraterna is left. Mm-hmm. And so also the parties are kind of like shifting their priorities a little bit. And of course, like this is a new situation and stuff and we'll see. But I think that's really interesting to think about as well. And especially since these blocks have changed a lot, because looking back, maybe twenty, was it twenty four T or twenty four? No, wait, 20, <laughs> no, two thousand forty five. Yeah, two thousand six, when the right wing block gained power. Lastly, voting for the liberals wasn't too different than voting for the moderates, but that looked very different after last election's results in twenty eighteen, when all of a sudden we have a coalition between the Swedish or the Social Democrats and the Liberals as well yeah. as the Centre Party, meaning that voting for the Liberals doesn't put you in the same block as it did before. And now mm-hmm. we have a very changing system with the Swedish Democrats being maybe coalition partners in the coming election and then NATO now becoming a very key talking point. But it's also tricky because in our constitution we're specifically stated to be an alliance-free country which makes a NATO ship tricky to do in a quick manner because I would need a decision and another election between where then the same decision is made. 
And now there is not enough time to do it before this election. So there would need to be another election before that even becomes relevant. Unless mm. they redefine what <laughs> an alliance is and maybe say, oh, NATO is just a loose cooperation between mm. countries uh, cooperating. Uh, I was thinking about that too, like uh, because it's different to change those kind of things with all the bureaucracy and stuff. And I watched the press release with like the foreign no like the prime minister of finland and i remember they was pushing her uh, or like magdalena a lot magdalena andersson um she's for socialdemokraterna for answers when we're joining nato and how we're going to do with the finland alliances and stuff like that and and so i think that's really interesting to see as well like how is this going to play out and are they going to do some kind of like new agreement like kind of like the november no yeah. november talked right no december maybe yeah i one don't o- know one like of the agreements. W- some some kind of agreement looking at france nato membership is a given as it stands and when we talked about the sahel not long ago mm-hmm. in we- or in africa one thing that was prominent was the consistency between different presidents so i do know that le pen she's quite or she's not very looking very favorably at the EU, even though she's not um, proclaiming that you should withdraw. But is that any different for NATO, or is there just an overall strong support for NATO in France as it stands? Hmm, that's a tricky question. Yeah, because I know that Le Pen is definitely a bit more isolationist than Macron, but... I think when it's com- when it comes to defense, um, I think she would like stand for NATO, especially now with the war in Ukraine. Mm. I think she she's very much like she criticized the EU a lot, but since a lot of her arguments revolve around like security and the need to have like a, a strong army and kind of you know like France being a strong con- country and everything, I I guess. Uh, membership in uh, of NATO and like playing an important role in like world politics and so on is still quite important but what I found quite interesting is that this time there was no mention from her about like leaving the EU whereas that was definitely one of the topics in the previous election now the EU is seen as a given mm. so yeah and we'll talk more right after this You just heard Shame and Blame by Snake. You're listening to Studentradion 98.9. We are Radio UF. One key difference, I guess, with uh, France and Sweden is how, even though the Swedish Democrats is considered a new party in Sweden, they've been around for a long time, before the 2000s. And we have, in that sense, a quite rigid party structure. But that is not quite the case in France. Yeah, no, what is really interesting with those elections is that we've we've really noticed, you know, a weakening of the traditional parties, so Les Républicains and the Socialist Party. And instead we see like a, a big rise of the so-called new parties. Mm-hmm. For instance, Le- Macron is the perfect example of that because he founded his party, La République en Marche, six months before the former elections. And yeah, we also see like Éric Zemmour, entering the political campaign this year and then still like gaining 7% of the votes. But what I find even more interesting is that those new parties, you know, usually 
they present themselves as like anti-establishment and um, one idea that put forward is what is called triangulation so the idea that they're really transcending the left-right divide this often like results in an um, ideological blurring and the tendency to substitute a project built around a clear line with a series of catch-all measures that are measures aimed at attracting the largest possible numbers of voters from different social backgrounds. So it seems that a lot of those new parties attract electors, not merely on their ideas, but rather on the idea that they are not part of the establishment and that they want to transcend what, what has been around in politics for a while. And another aspect that I find quite interesting is that most of those parties are very like personalized. So, for instance, if you think of Macron's party, I wouldn't say that a lot of people would be able to define it apart from saying, oh, yeah, it's Macron's ideas, Macron's persona, Macron's character and like what he embodies. Same with Le Pen, I guess. Yeah. And the interesting part there is even though those parties are very much exemplified by their heads of the parties in that sense, Le Pen, in contrast to Macron, don't have the same legislative power as they only got six seats out of the 577, whereas Macron's party at least got 53% of those seats. And uh, I find that what you said about Macron, uh, that they uh, liked his personality in a way, Mm -hmm. um, uh, or you know what I mean, like that his credibility was Mm -hmm. uh, doing a lot for the party. Uh, I I find that that kind of happened with uh, Sverigedemokraterna, in Sweden as well with Jimmy Åkesson uh, when they took off I think he's kind of really been like a symbol for the party because for those of you who don't know Sverigedemokraterna is relatively new uh, in Swedish politics now not so much anymore but compared to like the traditional ones kind of new and uh, it's the right populist like economically kind of share uh, the same values as Socialdemokraterna but um, they're kind of placed with the right in a way like mm. uh, like for like coalitions they're kind of assuming they will do a coalition with Moderaterna um, and Kristdemokraterna um, so yeah that was a little sidetrack but I think that's very interesting like how a person can do so much for a party um, yeah because remember or if you don't know much about Sweden know this Jimmy Åkesson is the party leader who's uh, sat for the longest of the current party leaders because, of course, now the Liberals just recently got a new one. But most of them change relatively often between elections, especially when they don't do that well. <laughs> Which, even though the Swedish Democrats have grown, they've not always been performing great in uh, the elections. But Jimmy Åkesson has remained steadfast at the war. And I wanted to add to that, I'm very impressed by like how they kind of pursuing their politics in that way. Because as you said, Isaac, uh, a lot of people have been changing like the politicians, especially when they're having a lot of trouble in media or something uh, and mm-hmm. critics against their uh, political values. And the Sverigedemokraterna instead have been like continuing on, you know, their agenda. And I think that's something that kind of have had their party rise in confidence mm-hmm. um, compared to... Um, as like Liberalerna now uh, with Niamco Sambuni kind of skipping the election a few months before. Uh, and you know, that's uh, something that's not too uncommon happening in Sweden that 
Uh, because uh, Liberalerna would probably n- not have their seat this year, for those mm. of you know. So Macron being a new candidate at the last election and forming his party before, you might think that Le Pen, she would be classified as populist probably by us, but she is the head of a party that's now 40 years old, which <laughs> makes you think because she would may- very much be in the same bucket as Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, but... She's representing something that's been going on for a while. Yes, but then you can also play on words and say that she actually is the head of a new party because she founded Rassemblement National, the Rassemblement National, quite recently, a few mm. years ago. 2018, I believe. Okay, so kind of like to mark disruption with her father's party who was also her party called the Front National and she did a lot of um, a lot of work in like normalizing the party and you know presented it as an acceptable party and like an acceptable partner also so in a way you can argue that she's also the leader of a new party in a way because even though it's ve- it's very much informed by like the former Front National and all their ideas and so on she really tried to present to sorry to present <laughs> <laughs> Rassemblement National as different from the Front National, it's kind of like a, a modern version of the Rassemblement National, and she tries to appeal to also a younger electorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's interesting because Kimi Åkesson, the leader of the Swedish Democrats, have done a similar journey as mm-hmm. the Swedish Democrats before he gained prominence was very much associated with. Nazis and now they've at least tried to distance themselves in practice Mm -hmm. but we'll talk more after this you just heard Cold Romantics yes by Blanco Biao and Ego Sotica you're listening to Studentradio 98.9 we are Radio UF and to kick it off we're or our final to finish off tonight's eve of an intense discussion about France. <laughs> We're going to do more. <laughs> exactly. Less is more. Yes. Yeah, I thought we could talk about a, a little bit about like the campaign mm. or yes. lack thereof because a lot of people have accused Macron of, you know, not having really campaigned. First of all because he declared his candidacy quite late. Mm. And a lot of people were like, "Oh, yeah, he's just like surfing on his achievements during his mandate and like mm. You know, he refused also to debate with his op- opponents before the first round. And he has been heavily criticized for being more concerned with foreign affairs than with his own people and kind of like too busy, you know, trying to talk with Mr. Putin. And another thing that I found really interesting is that talking about Ukraine, Ukraine and also COVID-19 have really, you know, changed the usual election themes. Because usually what, what is being discussed a lot, be- especially between the two finalists, uh, is employment, insecurity and immigration. But it seems that this year the discussion will be and is dominated by rising prices of like oil and just like cost of living in general. So that's quite interesting how geopolitics can affect domestic politics. Yes, yeah. that's that specifically the first on the agenda, seemingly, for tonight's debate. Exactly, cost of living. Yeah, yeah. As you said, unemployment is absent from this, from the discussion points, mm-hmm. as supposedly they're at an all-time low, for, or a long-running low in um, Macron's case. So 
the cost of living is really the angle to attack him on for the economy in contrast to how the employment is doing yeah uh, do you guys think the same will happen in sweden like do you think cost of living will be the main focus of this year? i think it will be more relevant for parties who previously haven't discussed it that much oh, okay. um, because i saw like uh, on svt Uh, they did like a discussion on this and a uh, few parties will bring up the cost of living and, you know, gas and, and prices, uh, even though like LGBTQ mm-hmm. questions maybe are like more relevant, but they ah. will still kind of in a debate, they will still kind of have to address it yeah, yeah. Um, because it will be relevant. Um, and a few like the bigger parties will like Socialdemokraterna and Moderaterna, I think they're They're definitely and Centerpartiet as well will definitely bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like everyone will have to kind of uh, get some information on how they want to do it with that, uh, even though that's not the focus of uh, their party's kind of agenda. But it has become a very prominent part since this Christmas, because in Sweden we talked a lot about the rising prices of electricity, Mm-mm. especially since we're usually a main exporter of electricity. But mm-hmm. during the cold. Yeah. Winter days. A lot of European countries down <laughs> south really want some electricity. <laughs> and like then France, uh, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I guess saddens us being politically interested is you don't see as much discussion about foreign policy between the parties. And now in Sweden we might have a tiniest bit of it because this NATO will a hundred percent be a discussion point mm-hmm. coming up. But apart from that, you don't really That's never really the sticking points. Is that mm-hmm. any different in France, in your experience? I'm not so sure. Like usually, when we discuss foreign policy, it's a lot about the EU and stuff. But now that mm-hmm. the EU is kind of seen as like a given, I'm really not sure. But what I've heard on the radio this morning is that people expect the debate to be very technocratic because mm-hmm. Le Pen has been seen as like failing last elections debate because she was not, she did not seem knowledgeable or like an expert mm. enough so people assume that she will really try to like corner macron on s- very technical aspects and uh, <laughs> and that's macron's um team were a bit afraid that he would only be in a responder position and like kind of have to defend his mandate without bringing up new ideas mm. so that's yeah. one of their fears but What I read is one of the big differences between l- this mm-hmm. election and last election is how Macron was relatively unknown before, so there wasn't really much to attack or mm-hmm. focus on. Whereas now he's been a sitting president for five years. There is a lot of policy that you could attack and criticize in different ways. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I guess we will encourage you guys to watch yeah. the debate. Or um, yeah. 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 And it'll be very interesting to see because last time that debate determined the election Mm -hmm. and it might very well be similar this time. But that is all for us tonight. Uh, We hope you've learned something new about France, even though uh, this might well fall out of relevance in shortly as (laughs) there'll be another five years before another election comes up. But (laughs) till then, you'll be more informed. Absolutely. And... Remember to tune in next week. <laughs> yes, same time, same station. <laughs> Absolutely. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.
Du har lyssnat på poddversionen av ett program från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Och kom ihåg att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större. Mm.